just wanna chill and twist the lie. Catch stunts in my 745. You drive me crazy, shorty. I need to see you and feel you next to me. I provide everything you need, and I let you smile. I don't wanna see you cry. Got some questions that I gotta ask, and I hope you can come up with the answers, baby. Hello and welcome to Locked on Flames. I'm your host, Kristen Anderson, and thank you so much for joining me. Your support means a lot, so please download, subscribe, share, and rate this podcast. The team is back in Calgary after a long five-game road trip that saw them swing through Regina for the Heritage Classic. They were in Raleigh, they were in Nashville, they were in Columbus, they were in Washington. It was the longest road trip of the season, but they're back. Although they're incredibly inconsistent to start the season so far, you have to look at the last few games as some positives. You look at the game in Nashville. Matthew Kachuk scores the game winner in overtime, and what a beauty that was. The 3-0 win in Columbus. Hello, David Riddick. You look at the 4-2 loss against the Washington Capitals. It wasn't great, but still, that's going to happen. And I do think that there were some good things that they did on this road trip. We saw Elias Lindholm at center. It wasn't the longest tryout at center, and it wasn't the best view of him at that position. But nothing's ever set in stone, so there's a possibility he could play there as the season progresses. Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan looked a heck of a lot better. Monaghan was able to get on the board in Columbus and had a few more opportunities, while Johnny Goudreau was also able to get a few more touches in the last few games. He has five assists in his last five games, so there's some progress. But now they're back at home. They'll have last change for the next little while. They have four home games in the next 11 nights, so they'll definitely be a little bit more rested than they normally would be. And they're set to have a few practice days thrown in there too. So I wouldn't call this an easy point in their schedule by any means. Arizona's been hot. New Jersey has it, but you know they're desperate. The St. Louis Blues are in town defending Stanley Cup champions and Dallas is finding their game. They face them next week. At only 8-7-2, now was the time for the Flames to gain some ground. The Flames beat Arizona three of four meetings last season and outscored the Coyotes 18-6 in that span, including a 6-1 win at Arizona on November 25th and a 7-1 win at Calgary on January 13th. Tuesday is the first of four meetings this season between the clubs and they'll square off again quickly on November 16th and December 10th at Gila River Arena. The Coyotes have a 5-2-1 record on the road after Monday night's game. They beat the Oilers 3-2 in overtime in Edmonton and improved to 9-4-1. They also have 19 points in 14 games and are among the top 10 in the NHL. Darcy Camper faced 24 shots and in my opinion goaltending is such an interesting part of the Coyotes story this season. The Flames are likely to face Antti Ranta on Tuesday in the second half of a back-to-back based on their rotation and it's why I have my next guest Kat Silverman on to talk about how similar the Flames are to the Coyotes in net and just how similar Darcy Camper is to David Riddick. All right, I'm joined by Kat Silverman, who works for Ingoal Magazine, along with EliteProspects.com. She covers all the goaltenders in the 31-team loop. And based in Phoenix, Arizona, she is close to the Arizona Coyotes, so she knows them very, very well. Let's start there. What do you expect and make of the goaltending situation in Arizona this season? So to start the season, uh, back over the summer, I asked um, asked their goaltending coach, Corey Schwab, I think that there's too much to to read into with asking who the starter is going to be. Do you think that we're actually going to go with a tandem? You know, am I am I reading too much into that? And he said that they're not going. They're not going to stay super rigid with you know who plays what game. They're willing to be flexible and sort of you know move around based on the scheduling and the travel and 
who's feeling good and who's not. For the most part, to start the season, they kind of have been following a pattern. It's sort of been Darcy Kemper on two rounds of Darcy Kemper. So it's been more like two-thirds of the games have gone to Kemper and one-third have gone to Ronta. But I'm assuming that will eventually start to evolve, especially as the schedule gets tougher moving forward, uh, just because Ronta didn't play a game in, I think it was over 10 months. When, when all was said and done. He played his last game, I want to say, November 27th of last season. And then the last, the first game that he played after getting injured right around the end of November was an AHL conditioning stint game to start off this season. So at the beginning of October. And then he didn't play his first game for the Coyotes proper until like almost a week and a half into the season. So I think they're easing him into it right now, giving him like one third of the games and then as they move forward, you know, if he goes through a hot spell, maybe they'll give him two thirds of the games or whatever. But they're really, they're really trying to split it up pretty well, just for not just for talent management, but I think for workload management too. They want to reach the playoffs with a well-rested team. What you know, driving your goaltender into the ground is a really, really tough way to do that. So much of the goaltending story in Arizona this year are the steps that Darcy Kemper has taken in the last 18 months since being with the Arizona Coyotes, along with Antti Ranta, recovering from that devastating knee injury last season. Was there ever a thought he wouldn't regain his form? I don't think that he or the team would be willing to go on record saying that, but I don't think there's anybody who didn't at least wonder whether he was going to ever get back to full ability so to speak, you know, he's been essentially at a dozen level his first year with the team. I think his numbers were right on par with what Kemper's were last year. And then it was a knee injury. I believe he tore his meniscus uh, fairly severely uh, towards the end of November. And that was when he was just coming back from another more minor injury. He'd been fully rehabbing it. I think he was almost cleared to play again. And then during practice, it was just a freak accident. And obviously with a knee injury and knee surgery you really want to take your time as a goaltender just you don't want to re-injure anything or let it feel improperly so the team you know really took their time there which for him i think by this point he's healthy but one of the things that he told me you know right when he got back from the summer was that he went over to finland for the off season and he'd been just about ready to play again when the team missed the playoffs. So I think he probably would have been their backup had they made the playoffs last year. So he got back to Finland, you know, to just clear his head, start his training, make sure he was ready to go. And he just like backstated himself to regain that feel of being on the ice and working hard and get his muscles back where he wanted them to be. Uh, back to playing shape, essentially. And so the toughest part really, I think, hasn't just been the injury recovery itself, which took months and months, but then getting back into into a game headspace, which really is where we see the most trouble with goalies. You know, when you miss five months, six months, in his case, ten and a half months, we've seen it from a few other guys, but not many. Uh, Corey Crawford had the same thing in Chicago a couple years back. Just getting back into that game mentality and into the reaction timing and just the pacing and the flow of the game. I think has really been the toughest part of the recovery. So seeing him get back to where he is right now, where he's really holding his own with the team, I don't know if anybody was 100% confident that that would happen. No, it's uh, there's always that question mark of when you miss almost a full year of NHL action, how you'll come back, you know? And so seeing him come back is, 
is good, but I, I definitely think that it's a relief more than anything. Darcy Kemper, how has a guy like that benefited from being the backup to Devin Dubnik for all of those years? He nearly spent his entire career in the NHL with the Minnesota Wild. How has he grown and developed, and how has he been able to get to the comfort level he's at right now? I honestly don't think that there's a goalie that off the top of my head I can think of who has grown so much in half a season as Darcy Kemper did last year. He, Like you said, he was originally in Minnesota. He uh, started off as the hopeful heir apparent for Nicholas Backstrom back in the day. Uh, that's, that's an old name. Um, he never really seems to pan out consistency-wise at the NHL level. They brought in Dubnik. He backed him up. Still never seemed to hit that consistency. Moved to L.A. as a free agent. I believe that was now two years ago. And working with Bill Ranford there, he got some of the, the technical idiosyncrasies in his game that he needed to work on were improved. But he still, I mean, he was still a backup very clearly for Jonathan Quick. Then his first couple months in Arizona, he still looked like a backup. His first month the following season when Ronka was struggling with his injuries, he still kind of looked like a backup. He just didn't have that consistency. I think it was, it was the mental maturity. I think it was getting himself to recognize what headspace he needed to be in for consistency because he had the techniques down. So he just needed that mental uh, maturity when it came to figuring out where he needed to be to make those frequent starts and then just hold himself there, you know, not let it slip or get distracted. And that's really what he did last year. And so when he did finally start, you know, I think it was 22 games in a row, uh, it looked like a different goaltender from the one that we watched in Minnesota and even the one that we watched in LA and when he started in Arizona, it looked like, and even now he kind of looks like a completely different goalie. I, I don't think I ever would have looked at him in Minnesota and thought that what we're seeing now is what we were going to get at any point. And that's pretty comparable to a David Riddick situation in Calgary. I think many people in Calgary can relate to um you know, what they've seen from David Riddick over the last 18 months or so um, since he's been with the Flames. And it it is a mental, like when you wrap your head around the idea that this is your everyday position, you are counted on to be the starter. It's a bit of a mind shift. It's a bit of a, it's, it, it, how would you describe it, I guess? And, and could you see, and maybe give me some thoughts on what you think and what you've observed from afar? I think, uh, I think it's a good comparison. I, uh, I think that we need to have the right temperament to, uh, to make really just those massive leaps in their mental maturity that both Darcy Temper and David Riddick made in such short periods of time because I think they were both kind of thrust into the role. And I think they're both so positive <laughs> that I don't think I've ever seen Darcy Temper not smiling. And I feel like I've never seen David Riddick upset about something. For anybody who listens to him outside Calgary, that picture of him when he knows that Johnny Gaudreau was going to score and he just put his hands up in the air in celebration from halfway down the ice, that. I think that general personality type definitely helps them both with finding that sort of headspace. But I think it also may have been what held them back for a while because I think they're both people pleasers. I think they both are almost a little too nice to really think of themselves as the answer, the solution. And you do have to be a little bit not arrogant, but you have to be very comfortable in the fact that you are the best one on the team and you are the best one for that job and you have to be a little selfish to, to take the starting role and really confidently run with it and so I think that both of them had to find that 
that balance and that consistency and being able to just push a bad game when it was on them over to the side and not worry about the fact that it was their fault, not worry about letting their teammates down for a second game potentially. You know, they just have to have to learn how to push that that potential worry aside and just focus on getting back into the headspace that they were in for a good game. And so I think that that takes good coaching for starters. So uh, I think that obviously both teams have good coaching. Um, I don't think you can reach that without having good goaltending guidance. Uh, but I think it also just takes learning how to believe in yourself a little bit. And it's clear that David Riddick has, uh, has reached that point where he, he believes in himself night in and night out and that's really that's really I think and you know it's funny you talk about having a bit of that swagger that that starting goaltender swagger Mike Smith David Riddick saw exactly what it takes to have that starting goaltending swagger and and kind of attitude um, granted sometimes or not or, or whether it was um, earned or not in Calgary sometimes last year I definitely during the playoffs Mike Smith was that number one goalie but like him or not and in Calgary we've been sort of watching from afar what he's been able to do in Edmonton already he's such a uh, polarizing figure among fans in terms of goaltending it was hard to describe when he was here in Calgary because he would there were certainly times when the Flames outscored his goaltending essentially and were able to win games Mike Smith's an interesting guy what what do you from your and you obviously were up close and dealt with him up close in Arizona. What's your take on him? He's a, I think we've, we've talked about this. He's so hard to accurately cover, I think, because he's such a such a study in extremes, really. He's so incredibly confident in himself to the point where it either helps him in his game or it hurts him in his game. And there's really no in between. If, uh, if Darcy Kemper and uh, David Riddick are the, the poster boys for being too nice and needing to learn how to gain that swagger, I think that sometimes Mike Smith had a little too much of it. And other times it was perfect. And it was absolutely what was needed, I think, to keep his career going really for as long as it has. I don't think that guys who have less self-confidence than Mike Smith do would be able to make it through some of the lows that he's had. Because he has had some seasons where he's struggled. And, and he does allow some bad goals. And I think that really it's, it's almost a, a plus in his game that he doesn't even think about those bad goals. He's angry, sure, when they happen. And he's angry when his team loses, but very rarely have I seen him look from game to game like he's still dwelling on bad goals. We've seen it during a game where he sometimes gets too fired up, but I think that he is confident enough in himself that he is an NHL goalie and he is a starter and he is a playoff bound goalie that he can let those slumps just just slip away in his brain and he focuses on the next game. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about it. And that it's honestly, I think that he probably helps David Riddick a little bit because having someone around who tells you that it's okay to feel that way, you know, it's okay to be confident in yourself, even when others are criticizing you for it is something that David Riddick probably needed a little bit of. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's tough to tough to cover Mike Smith, tough to explain Mike Smith. I know that the Oilers are kind of kind of experiencing a little bit of what what Calgary did last year. I know that they they had a game against the LA Kings earlier this year where Mike Smith allowed two empty net goals while he was on the ice. 
which is a magic trick that very few goalies can pull off. And they won that game anyway because their offense is obviously, it's a little top-heavy, but it's so incredibly top-heavy that other teams don't have that across four lines, you know. So I think they ended up winning that game 6-5, to five, so they won in spite of his goaltending. But there are other games where he... You know, he's able to jumpstart their defense a little bit, and that's something that that team has needed for a while. And I think that he gives them some of that unapologetic confidence that, yeah, you guys think we're a joke. That's nice. We're going to beat you anyway. And I think the Oilers has maybe needed a taste of that for a while. And that that may be how he got the Coyotes to the Western Conference Finals in 2012. You know, I think he, he may have done the same thing there and then eventually outlived his his real niche role there in Arizona, I think eventually moving on was the right the right thing, but that attitude in Edmonton may be what helps them get over the hump of of really sort of beating themselves some nights. And my last question for you, uh, David Riddick is among the league leaders in minutes played. The Flames have really relied on him a lot. I don't think anybody's really outwardly talked about how they want David Riddick to be the number one goalie in Calgary, but it's sort of assumed and you can kind of observe that this is the way things are going this year for the Flames, at least for the time being. What's your thought on that concept? Is it like, and I've been back and forth over the last few years about having a tandem because, yeah, I guess you need a guy to take the ball and run with it um, on the majority of nights. But I, I was talking to David Riddick at the start of the year and he told me that he wanted to play 60 games this year. I just feel like those days of Mika Kiprasov-esque numbers are just ridiculous to assume and put on the shoulders of one guy to play every single night in that position that demands so much of their body um, for, or demands so much from their body. Are you, I mean, is, is a tandem thing the way to go? Like rotating night in, night out, does not matter? Or you know riding the hot guy and then if he slumps a little bit you ride the other guy for a little while but then that sometimes creates problems like I don't I don't know where I am (laughs) anymore with my opinions on on that I guess it's very dependent on the team but where are you at and what's your thoughts on that I think that uh ultimately if a team wants to ride their guy for more than I'd say 60 to maybe you can do 65 games, maybe. But I think if you want to ride your guys for more than 60 games a season, you should be prepared to lose in the first round. And I think Tampa Bay can tell you that. I think the Toronto Maple Leafs can tell you that. And the very successful tandem teams, like the Islanders, the Bruins, the Dallas Stars, when they're doing well, even the St. Louis Leafs, had a nice even split of games, although it was more circumstantial there. They can all tell you that splitting your guys workload-wise helps in the long run when it comes to playoffs. Even when you look at you look at how the Penguins won their back-to-back, they used Matt Murray and Mark Andre Fleury pretty evenly, and they went through stretches where one got to play more than the other because of injury or because of slump statistically or because guys were struggling with certain personal things. I know that Matt Murray's dad passed away and, you know, having someone around who can take extra games off of his plate when he's going through something like that. That's how you win a championship. And 
even even the Washington Capitals played Philip Grubauer for the majority of their games down the back stretch before they started their playoffs and ahead of their cup championship. And so I think that trying to do it where you go in with a plan, like a set rigid plan like baseball, is a bad way to do it. I think that, you know, like I said, the Coyotes are currently going Kemper, Ronta, Kemper, but if they insist on doing that all year, they're going to fail. Uh, I also think that if you ride a guy until he's exhausted and then move to the other one, that's not a great way either. But just sort of keeping tabs on which guy is feeling good, looking ahead at your schedule, saying, okay, we have, you know, seven games in four or seven games in five days coming up. Uh, we're going to play you for four. We're going to play you for three. How would you guys like to split it up? What do you think is a good way to manage the workload so that we win most of our games? Who plays better against this team? Who feels better about playing the front of the back-to-back, the back of the back-to-back? And so just sort of managing the overall energy levels and the work levels and the workload for for both guys on the team is really how it has to be done now. Like you said, I don't think we can... uh, don't think we can use Kipper as our model anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he, uh, sure he'd get a laugh at us even mentioning him now. Um, but wherever he is in the world, <laughs> I, I've heard that he's living like in the woods in Finland somewhere and doesn't want anybody to talk to him anymore. Which is kind of fair. Like I, I respect that. I think that's how I feel sometimes. <laughs> but uh, of course he is. That's and fishing and doing the things that he wants to do now that he's done hockey. <laughs> far away from the media types far away from people <laughs> but uh but yeah i think that uh for right now like you said they're currently giving the bulk of the the bulk of the start to, to david riddick and i think that's probably the smart way to do it i don't think that you know if they're married to the idea of splitting the tandem from the start cam talbot's still getting used to calgary it's a new system it's a new coach He's probably trying to undo some bad habits from really a derailed train there in Edmonton towards the end of his uh, his tenure there. I think that some bad habits probably slipped back in, some fatigue started to set in. Uh, so, so rebuilding his game a little bit, giving him fewer starts just to begin with, is probably the way to go. And then sort of like in Arizona, as the workload gets tougher, as their game frequency increases, as they go on some of those longer road trips, as the as the nights get longer and the winter gets colder, let's get dramatic here, you know, they, uh, I think um, once that starts to happen, you know, you can, you can rely on Talbot a little bit more once he's a little bit more comfortable with the team and the system and the coaching. And you can ultimately, if you want to ride David Riddick as your starter, you can even ride him for the majority of the games until the All-Star break. And then you can give Talbot, you know, more and more starts down the back stretch, give Riddick more time to rest during practices, give him fewer game starts, even bring in a practice goalie if you need to, and have him rested ready to go for the playoffs. So I think it's, it's not necessarily something that needs to be like a prescription for a tandem, but... They do. Some teams do need to be better about managing the workload for sure. And I think that if they they go too far over that sixty game dream of his, uh, it's not going to end particularly well. 
All right, that's it for Locked on Flames today. Join me again Wednesday, and I'll recap the game against the Arizona Coyotes and provide some audio from Wednesday's Flames practice as well as some analysis. And then on Thursday, I'll be teeing up the game against the New Jersey Jersey Devils with Abby Mastracco, who covers the team for the Record Sports, which is part of the USA Today Network. She also has a broad knowledge of the Western Conference, considering she grew up in California and covered the Kings and the Ducks prior to moving to New York. Thank you so much for joining me today. Your support means a lot, so please subscribe, download, share, and rate this podcast. You can also send me an email at kanderson at postmedia or reach me on social media, Twitter and Instagram at k.anderson or on my professional Facebook page, Kristen Anderson. 